Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're really glad that you're here today. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could grab that Bible and turn in the back part to page 5, and you would be at Matthew chapter 7. Now, I, I never had the opportunity to serve in the military. You know, my father served in the military in World War II, and spent some time in the European theater. I never had that opportunity, but I do understand this about warfare. Superior weaponry is pivotal when it comes to winning a war. And one of the great advantages America has had for quite a long time is we have superior weapons. We could certainly see that illustrated in Operation Iraqi Freedom. We had superior weapons in, on multiple fronts. And, and I went on the internet and I, I actually looked up some pictures of these various weapons. As I explain them to you, you can actually see them illustrated on the screen. One of the superior weapons we had in Operation Iraqi Freedom is what was called a JDAM, which stands for Joint Direct Attack Munitions. And really, what, it was a very interesting thing. It was something that actually gets bolted onto a standard bomb. And one of the problems they had with laser-guided weapons is in bad weather, that doesn't work very well, but a JDAM is actually bolted onto a standard bomb, and it becomes a GPS-guided weapon. So even in poor weather, it will hit its target. Another superior weaponry that we had, an illustration of it, was the Blue 82. Sounds a little bit like the, you know, the guy behind the center in football. Blue 82, Blue 82. But really, uh, another name for the Blue 82 was a daisy cutter. Very interesting weapon. It's designed to explode above ground. And they would often use a Blue 82 to clear out minefields where you had buried munitions in the ground, or maybe to clear an area where they wanted a helicopter to land, they would just send down a Blue 82 or a Daisy Cutter. It's a superior weapon to what the enemy had. Another superior weapon we had was what's called a Bunker Buster. Fascinating thing, fascinating design. A Bunker Buster is designed to penetrate through 20 feet of concrete in a bunker. It's fascinating the way they do this. It's very slim in its design. And what they would do with a bunker buster is they would drop it from 40,000 feet. Now, that's seven and a half miles up in the sky. And it has this slim design, but it also has very heavy weight to it. And they would drop it from so high, and it would come down with all that weight, and it would actually penetrate through the concrete. Then it has a smart fuse in it, which allows for a delayed detonation. And so you might have this heavy bunker, but we could bust the bunker with a bunker buster bomb. Superior weaponry is pivotal in winning any war. And as followers of Jesus, guess what? We are in a war. And we have a superior weapon in the spiritual war. But here's what is interesting about that. I think often for followers of Jesus, the superior weapon that we possess, and we have really more than one, but the one I want to talk about today 
is often underutilized. It's often underappreciated, but it has a rock-solid impact in our life and in the lives of other people. We've been involved in a very short two-part series that we've entitled Rock Solid. And the rock solid part of that refers to God's word and our response to his word. Refers to God's word and our use of his word. And if you were here last time, you'll notice that we were in Matthew chapter 7, and we read from verses 24 and 25. And by the way, you see that good-looking man right over there? His name is Nick behind the camera. We have Nick always videoing our messages every week. And so if you missed last week, you can get it in audio format by going to our website, or you can get it in video format. But we really appreciate Nick doing that service for us, videoing the messages every week. But last time we read from Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25. I want to read it again, invite you to follow along. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Before we look further at what God has for us today, let's just pray very briefly. Father, we're here today because we want to hear from you. And I would pray for every one of us that you would today refresh our perspective, renew our perspective about the Bible and about the Word of God so that we might be more effective in the everyday war in which we find ourselves with the enemy of the kingdom of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, last time, we, we talked about how in this short two-part series, we were going to look at four magnificent aspects of the Bible, and actually, we looked at three of them. The fourth one was a question mark that we said we would talk about this week. But I want to just remind you of what they were, or to review through them if you weren't here last week. The first magnificent aspect of the Bible is that Scripture is the Word of God, not the Word of men. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And it is our source of truth. It's divine instruction given to us by God that tells us how we are to live and how we are to operate in our life. The second magnificent aspect we talked about last time is that all Scripture is the Word of God. It includes all of the words down to the smallest letter, which is a little bit like an apostrophe, or to the smallest stroke of a letter, which is like the little seraph on a letter. All Scripture is the Word of God from cover to cover. And we talked last time about how we can't pick and choose. We can't take a cafeteria approach to the Bible where we say, well, you know, I'll probably heed what it says over there, but I, I think I'll just choose to ignore what it says over here. All Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture is true and reliable is the third magnificent aspect we looked at last time. It is true and reliable. It is fully authentic, fully authentic. And then that brings us down to this fourth magnificent aspect we want to look at, which we left as a question mark last time, but we're going to fill in the blank now. 
And that fourth magnificent aspect of the Bible is that Scripture will never fail. Scripture will never fail. Jesus in Luke 16, 17 said this, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one stroke of a letter of the law. That's such an idea, that seraph. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Scripture will never fail. Every promise will be fulfilled. Every prophecy in this book will happen. Every divinely intended result that God has for the Bible will be accomplished. In 1970, I was first just beginning to grow up spiritually. And and I was looking for a translation of the Bible that was a little easier to understand. And it was in 1970 that the Lachman Foundation came out with the New American Standard Bible. And I, I got started using it and I haven't stopped since. I just I'm I'm oriented to it. But one of the things I really liked about it, and I'll never forget, is they had a theme verse for the New American Standard Bible translation, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. If you go to the front of any New American Standard, it's plastered right there, where it says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Scripture will never fail. I want to take you back in history several centuries to 303 AD. Something very interesting happened in 303 AD. The Roman emperor at the time, Diocletian, issued an edict. And here was the edict that he issued in the Roman Empire, the most powerful guy in the world at the time. His edict was, I am now releasing this edict that I want the Christian scriptures destroyed all across the Roman Empire. I want them to be destroyed by burning. Now, can you just imagine what that would feel like if if our president were to pass the same kind of edict? Arguably the most powerful person in the world, and he said, here's the edict. We're going to destroy all of the Bibles in this country by burning. I want them all burned. Well, that's what Diocletian said in 303 A.D. Was it the end of the Bible? Well, obviously not. In fact, Eusebius, the historian, tells us that 25 years later, a subsequent Roman emperor by the name of Constantine issued another edict, and that edict ordered the printing of the Scriptures at Roman government expense. You see, the scriptures will never fail, ever. If you go back in history to the 1700s, that was the age, as they called it at the time, of enlightenment. This is where certain philosophers felt like they were the most enlightened people who ever lived on the planet. And one of the values that many in the uh, age of enlightenment held to was that the Bible was a book whose time was past, just passe, because we're just too smart for something like the Bible. And one of those philosophers was a a guy by the name of Voltaire uh, in France. Uh, He was not only a philosopher, he was an atheist. And he made a prediction, Voltaire did. 
Here was his prediction. He said, I predict the extinction of the Bible and the extinction of Christianity within 100 years. I mean, we're just that enlightened. Within a century, no more Bible, no more Christianity. Now, Voltaire died in 1778. Now, here's what's interesting. 50 years later in France, the Geneva Bible Society was able to purchase the house of Voltaire, which also came with it a printing press. And they began to print, 50 years later, stacks and stacks of Bibles with Voltaire's printing press and in his house. Voltaire has now been gone from the planet for 237 years, but God's word is still going. Scripture will never fail. And the truth is that in this book, we have a superior weapon. But I honestly believe that too frequently, it is a weapon that is undervalued by us and also underutilized by us. Those of you who've been around Wildwood know we like to end our messages with uh, life application. We ended last time's message with a life application, and we actually had it life application number one. You may not have really noticed the number one in front of it, which was to read it. Remember, we talked about that at the end. That was life application number one from this series, was to read the Bible. Life application two comes this morning, and that is not only to read it, but to utilize it. Not only to read it, but to utilize it. And we need to utilize it when the enemy attacks and when we encounter people. Very important. So let's look at the first part of that. Part of the life application for me, for you, for all of us, is that we utilize it when the enemy attacks. Now, I don't need to tell you that we are in, the Bible says, a spiritual war. In fact, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter Chapter 5 and verse 8, he says to us, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, you just have to picture yourself outdoors in an unprotected situation, and someone tells you, there is a roaring lion lion prowling around looking for somebody to eat. And if you kind of put yourself in that environment, you can get the sense of, this is a little uncomfortable out here. We are in a spiritual war, and the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is out in your life and in my life to entice us to evil. His plan is to solicit us to sin. His plan is to lure us into serving ourselves. That, men and women, is an everyday part of the battle. The roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that sounds a little bit scary when you just look at that part of it, but the truth of the matter is it's a winnable war. You know, we can win this battle. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 4 and said, greater is he, remember this, who is in you, than he who is in the world, the roaring lion, looking around for somebody to devour. It's a winnable war. 
But, but part of what we have to do is take advantage of the resources and the weapons that God gives to us. And we're, there, we could talk a lot about that today. You know, in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul talks about the weaponry, the armor that he's given us, the, the resources that he's given to us. We could work our way all through that passage, but I want to particularly look at one verse from Ephesians 6, and that's verse 17. Part of the weaponry that he's given to us, he says this, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, that little phrase, Word of God, in the original language, there are two terms that are translated word in the phrase word of God. You have two of them. One is the word lagos. Maybe you've heard that word. Sometimes when it mentions the word of God in the New Testament, it's talking about the lagos of God. Now, Paul chooses a different term here. He uses the term rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. That word rhema is, is translated several times in the New Testament, sayings or statements. And so it's very valid for us to look at verse 17 and translate it in this manner. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema, the spoken word of God. Not just having it in our head, but speaking it out of our mouth. Now, what's really interesting about that is that the Lord Jesus modeled this very thing for us. Later on, I'd invite you to go back to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, we have the account of Satan wanting to wreak havoc in Jesus' life, to entice him to evil, to solicit him to sin, to lure him to serve himself. And so he comes and he tempts Jesus they go out into the wilderness and you have these temptations that come and there are three of them that are recorded there in Luke chapter four. And I think they really signify three types of approaches that the enemy takes when he tempts us in our life. And John talks a little about this in 1 John chapter two, which is where we get the terminology from. But I wanna just give you these three approaches that Satan uses with Jesus. They're the same approaches he uses in your life and the same approaches he uses in my life. The first approach is found in Luke 4, 3, which we're going to call the lust of the flesh. That's borrowing the terminology from 1 John. This is a temptation to do, to do something to gratify our senses. The second approach of temptation, which we see in verses 5 and 6 of Luke 4, we could call the lust of the eyes. This is a temptation to have, to covet things. And then the third approach, which he approaches Jesus, it's found in verses 9 to 11, that temptation, which we could call the pride of life. This is a temptation to be, the temptation to self-elevate myself. And I'm telling you, when Satan comes at you and he comes at me, he, he uses one of these three methods or a combination thereof. It's either a temptation to do, to gratify our senses, or a temptation to have, to covet, or it's a temptation to be, to self-elevate ourselves. Now, here's what's interesting. You say, why did you give me all that detail? 
Well, in all three of these cases, Jesus used Scripture to counter the temptation. In verse 4, as he's tempted to do or to gratify his senses, he responds to Satan, it is written, and he quotes Scripture back. When he is tempted to have or to covet, in verse 8, he quotes back, it is written, and he actually states back the word of God to Satan. When he's tempted to be or to self-elevate himself, in verse 12, he replies back, it is written, and he gives a statement of the word of God back to the enemy. Say, so, well, how, how, how is that supposed to work for us? Well, it works in exactly the same way. When he comes and he whispers in our ear, go ahead and indulge in that sexual relationship. Goodness knows that most everybody I know is doing this kind of a thing. Or just this once you're going to do that. I'm not going to make a lifestyle out of this. When he whispers that, we need to be able to actually speak back some principles from God's word. We need to have a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, flee sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, that you're not your own, therefore glorify God in your body? We can actually speak that out loud as a counter to the temptation. When he whispers to us, oh, go ahead, spend the money. I know it's expensive, even if it creates a lot of extra debt. I mean, why not spend it? You deserve it. It doesn't make any difference. So you want to be able to give some money to ministry things. Don't worry about that. Get what you want. You know, when he whispers those kinds of things in our ear, we need to be familiar enough with the Bible to have a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 6 where it tells us that we as followers of Jesus are to be rich in good works, that we're to be generous and ready to share with others. We, we have a desire to store up treasure in heaven. We need to be able to speak these principles back because it's a weapon that we have. When he whispers in our ear, hey, look, it's, it's okay to hold a grudge against that person. It's okay to be bitter. I mean, look at them. They deserve to be resented. You know, when that kind of thing gets whispered in our ear, we need to know a passage like Colossians chapter 3, which talks about how we are, as followers of Jesus, to put on a heart of compassion and patience, and we're to be bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, as the Lord forgave you, so you are to forgive others. We need to use it, men and women, it's underutilized when the enemy attacks. When he whispers to you, you know you have a jerk for a spouse, and there's a lot of marital conflict and a lot of marital frustration. Uh, everyone else is jettisoning their spouse. Go ahead and you do the same thing. We need to be familiar with a passage like Matthew 19 where Jesus says, from the beginning, God's message was that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to be glued to his wife. And what God has joined together, let, let no man separate. When he whispers, and, and he'll do this kind of thing, 
you know, you work for a big enough company, a big enough business, they have so much, you can go ahead and take some of that stuff, be it money or supplies or whatever. They're never going to miss it. I mean, think how huge they are. When that happens, we need to be familiar with a passage like Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, let him who steals, steal no longer. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we, as his children, steal, that's what happens. We cause pain to the Spirit of God. So we need to be practical with this. We need to not only read it, we need to utilize it. We need to utilize it when the enemy attacks us, but also we need to utilize it when we encounter people. This is another area that I think we tend to unappreciate the Word of God. And you're familiar with it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Now watch this part of it. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. The Word of God can drive deep into people's souls. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I really like the way the New Living Translation translates the last part of that. The Word of God is living and active, and it exposes us for what we really are. It is a superior weapon. And we need to utilize it more when we encounter people. Now, I believe very strongly in what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says that we should be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us. That, in other words, when people have objections or questions about Christianity, we ought to have the answers for them, and we ought to present them the answers and present those answers well and in a reasonable way. But I think sometimes, sometimes we can be guilty of doing too much explaining and not enough utilizing of the Word of God. Now, as I said, I never served in the military, but my dad did. My dad actually served in the U.S. Army. He was part of the Corps of Engineers, and he was in the, the Normandy area in France. And one of the things that happened when he was there is uh, he found this German ammunition bunker. And he and a number of the soldiers went into that ammunition bunker and pulled out a, a number of basically souvenirs, one of which was what I hold in my hand right here. It's kind of interesting. I was just thinking today, this, this weapon is uh, a little more than 70 years old. But what it is, is a Walther P-38 German Luger. This is the kind of a, a, a Luger that their officers would wear. And uh, I've had this for quite a number of years. And, and by the way, uh, this is not loaded. Uh, I haven't had ammunition in it for a number of years. And I triple-checked it today, okay? So you don't need to worry about that. But um, it shoots, even being 70 years old, this shoots extremely well, even to this very day. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to explain to somebody that this is a very effective weapon, it's a very powerful weapon, and it, it, could, it could penetrate deep into you. 
I, I could explain to them how that's true. It's a powerful weapon that could penetrate deep into you. I, I could start to describe it and explain it. I could say, you know, that its weight is about 12 pounds, or rather 2 pounds, 12 ounces, which is about a little less than one kilogram of weight. I could explain to them that you have a barrel length that is just under five inches or 124 millimeters. I could explain to them that the overall length of the gun is just over 8.5 inches or 219 millimeters. I could go on to explain that, you know, it comes with a magazine and another magazine right there in the holster. It can hold eight rounds. I could explain to them that if I took a 123 grain round nose bullet and, and, I, and I shot it at you, it would travel at 1,260 feet per second, and if it was shot at a 45-degree angle, it could actually travel up to 2,500 yards. I could explain all of that to somebody and say to them, it will penetrate you, or I could just fire the gun. And, and I shared this story before, true story from my, my friend Jim, uh, Jim and I were close buddies in college and uh, also in our graduate school days. Good buddy of mine. And he found himself in the 70s in Germany in the army. And, and Jim was an interesting guy. Jim's extremely intelligent, a great reader. And he was really into the occult. He was especially into reincarnation. And he read almost all the books that were out there at the time. And he's, he's so sharp that he could quote sections of the book. And he was really promoting this idea of reincarnation, reincarnation, reincarnation. And he would get with average soldiers and he would just bombard them with all of this information about reincarnation. And then he met some other soldiers there in Germany who happened to be people with the navigators. And so he got in, engaged in this conversation with them that went on really several different times. And what Jim would do is he would cite all of these authors over and over again who promoted the idea of reincarnation, reincarnation, reincarnation. And these navigator soldiers were relatively patient with Jim. And one day, particularly when he was really waxing eloquent about reincarnation and everybody that believes in reincarnation, one of these soldiers said this to Jim. You know, those are very interesting views, Jim. What the Bible says is appointed unto men once to die, and then comes the judgment. They simply quoted to him Hebrews 9.27. Now, he didn't wince, but if he were here telling you the story, he would say that statement penetrated deep into his psyche and soul. Those words were alive and powerful. And Jim began to really question, what if reincarnation isn't true? And what if what the Bible says is true? I could be in a little bit of trouble. And that led to more conversations with the navigator soldiers. And eventually, Jim trusted in Christ as his Savior. Spent more than a quarter of a century pastoring churches. Men and women, the Word of God is powerful. 
Now, I want you to understand what they did not do. Those navigator soldiers did not do this. You know, they didn't say to Jim, ah, you stupid heathen. You know, step back, boys. I'm just going to let them have a big blast here from the word of God. You know, boom. They didn't do that. They spoke very calmly and interactively with him. Interesting views, Jim. But the Bible says, boom, they fired the weapon. I always loved Isaiah 55.11. And I want to give you the Bruce paraphrase of Isaiah 55.11. This is, I actually put this together working my way through the verse. So this is the official Bruce paraphrase. Isaiah 55.11. God speaking. My word, which proceeds from my mouth, always produces fruit. It will accomplish that which I purpose and will succeed in the assigned task that I have determined. Now that ought to give us some confidence to utilize the Bible as we encounter people. This is an effective spiritual weapon and we need to utilize it as we encounter people. What does that really mean? That means we need to be familiar with passages like Hebrews 9.27 so we can get that verse out there. We need to be familiar with passages like Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We need to have passages like John 5.24 in our grip. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. We, we need to have these in our pocket ready to go. Passages like Romans 6, 23, very powerful one. The wages of sin is death. That's what sin gets us. But the free gift of God, see, the first part's bad news. The second part is good news. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Powerful weapon. Great resource. We need to read it. We need to utilize it. There's a third life application. We need to live it. Look back at Matthew chapter 7 again, verses 24 and 25. We've seen this already. We've read it several times. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and here comes the living part, and acts on them. It doesn't just get stored up here in the head, but it gives lived out in our life. Not, not perfectly, because we're all going to fail, but it's a priority to live it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them chooses to live them out, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house of his, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. I want you to look at the title slide we have for this series again, very carefully chosen. You see the rock that we have there, and you see that the rain is falling and the winds are blowing and the waves are smashing up against it. 
and yet it remains rock solid. That's what happens when we read it, when we utilize it, when we live it. We are rock solid. There's going to be rain that's going to fall. There's going to be floods that are going to come. The winds are going to blow. They're going to happen. It's going to slam against our house. But it won't fall because it's been founded on the rock. There are great benefits, men and women, to living out the Word of God. I want to just give you a passage. You can look this up this week. It can be part of your private quiet time. Go to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Tells us the benefits in your life to living out the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you again so much for this book. I am so guilty of underappreciating it and underutilizing it. It's frankly embarrassing to me. But we're grateful for it. And Father, we know that in, in reality, the Bible is a treasure map that leads to the greatest treasure in the universe. And that great treasure is deliverance from sin and judgment and coming into possession of eternal life. And we pray that any who hear my voice would make the step to embrace this great treasure. He is the solid rock in this life and also in the life to come. And we're grateful for him, Jesus. 